It is my privilege to invite you to point your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in verse 11. Todd, if you can bring me down just a little bit, it's really loud up here. Um, Thankful for another opportunity to be with you. If you don't have a Bible with you, you're welcome to grab one from under the chair in front of you. You'll find uh, our reading today on page 970 of that Bible, the chair Bible. We're going to be re- begin reading at verse 11, so the chapter numbers are the big numbers, the verse numbers are those little numbers, and we'll read to the end of chapter 12. And as always, if you don't own a Bible, please go ahead and take that one home with you and uh, read it for yourself. But what's important is that you know that I'm reading not my own words, but God's very own word. And so uh, if you would follow along with me, you can see it on the screen behind me, 2 Corinthians Chapter 12, beginning at verse 11. This is the word of the Lord. I've been a fool. You forced me to it. For I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Here for the third time I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. Children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? By granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit? Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus ago and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we've been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, And I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. Let's pray. Father, will you come to us again? Because of your Son, through your Spirit, open our eyes and open our ears 
We need to see Jesus. We need to hear you speak. Lord, there's a lot of voices. There's a lot of distractions. And so we need your spirit to come and to clear away the fog, to burn away the mist, and to shine light on our lives and on your work by the light of your Son. We pray this for Jesus' glory and for Jesus' praise. Amen. God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. As Ephesians four eleven through 13. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd teachers were given by God to equip his people for the work of the ministry. To build up the church until all of us are one. Until all of us are like Jesus. Until we all know Jesus. Until we're all acting like Jesus. If you're a Christian here today, it is because God has melted your frozen heart, given you faith to believe, and saved you from judgment over your sins. This happened to you. is free. Nothing you did deserved it. It was all of God's initiative. It worked a little bit like adoption. In fact, the Bible sp- speaks of that as a metaphor. It's as if God came to an orphanage and found you without family, without parents, And God purchased you, paid the highest price for you, the life of his own son to make you his son or daughter and gave you a new family, a new family that he calls the church. Like any child in a new family, you sort of have to learn how to live as a son or daughter in your new family. There are ways of being, there are ways of speaking, there are ways of treating one another, ways of acting in the family of God. Like any family, each one of us has a role, a responsibility, a part to play for the family to work. In this family, we are all ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We all have the privilege of helping others follow Jesus. And like any family, we fight. We say hurtful things to one another. We neglect one another. We take one another for granted. But like any good family, we forgive one another. We stick up for one another. We build one another up. We sacrifice ourselves for the benefit of others. This takes a tremendous amount of the power of God. It takes humility. It takes the utmost patience. There are times in this family where you will endure misunderstanding and slander with no chance to explain yourself. Your words will be misconstrued, misrepresented. Some may even question your motives. You may feel lonely, 
unheard, spent. But through it all, you will find God unceasingly faithful. Because in this family, you will also enjoy the warmest of friendships. The most exhilarating conversations. And true camaraderie. You find yourself saying often, wait a minute, you too? Laughter in this family is free, unforced. You'll be understood. You'll be accepted. In this family, you'll know what it feels like to be loved, really loved. Because this is the family of God, and God is love personified. We spent half of a year in 2 Corinthians. This is the 26th sermon in the series. Which is not, by the way, near enough to plumb the depths of this letter. But it is enough, I think, to learn that church is messy. But oh so worth it. Following Jesus in this family may bring you to the very brink. Testing the limits of your patience. And God's grace in your life. But it will also provide for you new apprehensions and new appreciations of God's grace and the beauty of Christ and the cross. As you know, this is probably the fourth letter the Apostle Paul has written to this church. He's already addressed divisions in this church and sexual sin in the church, misusing, misusing the gifts of the Spirit in this church, among some other things. On his second visit to Corinth, you'll remember he found them following false teachers. And these false teachers had set the church against their apostle. And they rejected him and he left Corinth discouraged by what he saw there. After he was rejected, he wrote them a scathing rebuke, regretting even having to do it. But God was faithful to the Apostle Paul and the church received the letter and repented of their sins and began to change. And here in this letter, Paul is encouraging them to keep showing the fruit of that repentance. Keep making changes in your life and in your church. He spent two and a half chapters defending himself against these false teachers, these false apostles. Now, notice there's a shift here in the middle of chapter 12. Paul gets personal. He confronts his beloved Corinthian church directly. The apostle is doing something that none of us enjoy doing, or at least most of us don't enjoy doing, and that is confronting our friends when they need it. Here's the big idea this morning. God gives Christian ministers to spend themselves for our spiritual good confronting us in our sin. God gives us Christian ministers for our spiritual good to spend themselves as they confront us in our sin. I have three points this morning. You can see them laid out on the backside of your worship guide. You're welcome to follow along there if you like. The first, in verse 11 to 13, the signs of true ministry. Let's take a look at verses 11 to 13 again. Paul says, I've been a fool. You forced me to be a fool. I ought to have been commended by you. I wasn't at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I'm nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works, 
For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Of the 13 Pauline epistles in the New Testament, this one here is his most emotionally vulnerable. You may have noticed that over the last six months. Rarely is the Apostle Paul more transparent, more emotionally open than he is in this letter. You can see some of that vulnerability here. Do you sense a bit of frustration in Paul in these verses? I've been a fool, but you forced me to it. Maybe there's even a hint of exasperation. It's almost as if he's saying, we've known each other for nearly a decade. And I'm having to commend myself against these super apostles. I had to boast. I had to be a fool. It's something you know I hate to do, but it's your fault. You made me do it. It's the only way I could get through to you. I think you can sense a little bit of frustration in him as he says, I ought to have been commended by you. Remember, I spent a year and a half at your church. You know me. I led some of you to the Lord. I helped start this church. I cared for you at my own expense. I've written letters to you. I've visited you. You've known my patience. You've even seen signs and wonders that God performed through me. Why didn't you stick up for me? There's a little bit of that frustration behind these verses. He goes on in verse 13, says, uh, you know, I've treated you guys with the same gentleness, the same manner that I've treated all the other churches. The only difference between you guys and these other churches is that I didn't take money from you. So sorry. This letter is nearly 2,000 years old, and yet people haven't changed that much. How many of us are guilty of the same unfairness as these Corinthians? In the middle of conflict, we ignore one another's history. Embroiled in some dispute, we tend to only see the negative things. We ignore all the past. We forget about the things that the other person has done to show us their love, to show us that they care for us, to show us how they've been there for us. We tend to only act by what we see right in front of us. And it's just unfair. No one likes to be treated like that. So if I may, I would like to invite you one more time to wrap yourself in the warm blanket called take one another, giving the benefit of the doubt. Just offering one another the benefit of the doubt. It's like a warm blanket. Suspicion. Suspicion of motives. It's exhausting, isn't it? It doesn't have to be that way. Titus 3, 2 says, show perfect courtesy to all people. There is a restfulness when you're trusting in the sovereignty of God. There is a peace that I'm jealous for all of us to know. 1 Corinthians 13 says that love believes all things. If you love your brother or sister, just believe what you're saying. Instead of running the circle, the mindless and endless and tiring circle of suspicion of motives. Paul is asking the Corinthians to remember how he was among them. Remember. How I acted. Verse 12. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you. He gives two characteristics of signs of true apostolic ministry. 
utmost patience, and signs and wonders, miraculous works of God. Utmost patience and miraculous works of God. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 to 4. It's helpful in understanding the point of signs and wonders in the church. The writer there explains that the the good news of Jesus Christ was first preached through Jesus. But then it was preached through the apostles after Jesus ascended into heaven. And God confirmed the, the truth of their message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles. Signs and wonders and mighty works that Paul are referring to here is probably a reference to some miraculous works that God did through him while he was doing ministry at Corinth. Now, the Bible doesn't give us any record of these miracles, but most certainly the Corinthians would have remembered those miracles. But it's not just miracles that accompany and are characterizing true apostolic ministry. It's also patience, or what Paul calls here utmost Patience, literally great endurance. One characteristic of a true minister of the gospel is a relentless stick with itness. Faithfulness. Follow through. Enduring long with others. It's not much different today. The signs of true Christian ministry. It's patience in the power of God. Patience in the power of God. The office of Apostle, capital A, Apostle, is concluded. You have the fulfillment of the apostolic ministry in your laps. The 66 books of God's inerrant word brought to an end the need for capital A apostles and capital P prophets. We don't need anyone to go up to the mountain of God and to receive revelation from him and to bring it to us because God has already given his revelation to us in his word. We need teachers to help us understand his word. But each of us, through Christ, filled with the spirit of God, can know the will of God through his word. And that ministry of helping others know God's word, following Jesus, is done in the same way as it was done by the apostles, with patience and the power of God. God works his power through his word on his people by his spirit. And every one of us in Christ plays a part in that if we're being obedient. This is how the Lord Jesus was. Paul learned it from him. Jesus was unceasingly patient. The power of God flowed through him with utmost patience. Uh, Just this last week on Wednesday at my Living Stones group, we're working through the Gospel of Mark together and we learned about how Jesus took some of his disciples up the mountain and he was transfigured before them and he saw, they saw Jesus bright and shining and Moses and Elijah came and had a conversation with him and God the Father, Almighty God, confirmed the identity of the Son of God saying, this is my Son, my beloved Son, listen to him. And literally a few verses later, the disciples are arguing over which one of them is the best. And I'm glad that 
I am not like Jesus. I would have probably called down lightning on them fools like Thor or something. But Jesus is unceasingly patient and uses that as a teaching moment. Another of many teaching moments. And so I think how unceasingly patient the Lord has been with me. How unceasingly patient has your Lord been with you? While we passed our days in envy, malice, hating one another, being hated by one another, the Lord has poured out his mercy on us every morning. Though our sins be like scarlet, he has washed them whiter than snow. The signs of true ministry are those that we see in our Lord, those that we see in his apostles, and hopefully by God's grace, those that we see in our own pastors, patience and the power of God. Let's take a look at verse 14 to 18 as we see the sacrifices of true ministry. Here for the third time, Paul says, I'm ready to come to you. And I'll not be a burden, for I seek what is yours, not you. Or not, I don't seek what is yours, but I seek you. For children aren't obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I most gladly spend to be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? By granting that I myself do not burden you. I was crafty, you say? I got the better of you by deceit? Did I take advantage of you through any of those I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you ever had your motives questioned? Have you ever acted in the best interest of what you perceived was in the best interest of someone? Wanting their good, wanting to help them, and then they question your motives. Accuse you of something sinister. That's hard to handle. It's really kind of hard to know how to navigate that. It's sort of like the teenager who yells at her parents, You don't love me! Storms off to her room where she cries on her soft pillow on her soft bed in her air-conditioned room and soothes herself with her favorite music on headphones that you purchased for her on the smartphone that you're paying for. Well, it's not just teenagers who are like this. We're all like this. How many of you know teenagers who are deep into their 40s? God gives us a church family. Christian friends, pastors, to encourage us and to confront us in our immaturities and to often, to our shame, we react to the confrontation about our immaturities with those very same mature. I'm not immature. Well, some of the Corinthians had accused Paul of being crafty getting the better of them by deceit. And from verses 16 to 18, it seems that they had accused him of refusing to take money outright because, well, maybe he was skimming off the top. When Titus came and he took his offering, Paul was just behind the scenes taking their money. But he wouldn't take it from them face to face. They were accusing Paul of being dishonest. And ironically, they were accusing Paul of the very same things that these false apostles were actually doing all along. 
That would have been a hard pill to swallow. And so Paul humbly reminded them of the consistency of his ministry and the honesty of, his, of the ministry of his associates. Paul is so much like his Lord here when he assures the Corinthians that he is interested in only one thing, the good of their souls. You see this in verse 14. I seek not what is yours, but you. And again in verse 15. I will gladly spend and be spent for your souls. This is the heart of a true minister. Not seeking their own benefit, but the benefit of others. To sacrifice themselves in every way for the spiritual good of those they serve. John Wesley, the 18th century founder of Methodism, mobilized thousands of ministers in his day. He wrote to them this, You have nothing to do but to save souls. Therefore spend and be spent in this work. That's good clarifying counsel. But, but I don't think we should take that as just advice for professional ministers. I think that applies to every Christian. Your job as a follower of Jesus is to bring glory to God, proclaiming the excellencies of Christ in the saving of sinners. Disciples of Jesus making disciples of Jesus. Cornerstone, spend yourself in this work. Sacrifice your life to that end. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Whoever serves by the strength that God supplies. I have learned too often that serving in my own strength leads to weariness and if undealt with, cynicism. Matter of fact, just yesterday morning, Michael Deere and I were having a conversation. I was confessing to him those sins, those very sins. Trying to do the work of ministry in my own strength, leaving me weary and a little bit cynical. But regularly the Lord brings me to repent of those things and reminds me of 1 Peter 4.10 to serve with the strength that God supplies for His glory. So that at the end of the day when work is done, ministry is done, I can't say, you can't say, there's not a person alive who can say, He did that! He did that! He was smart! He was a hard worker! Now, even when Paul said, I worked harder than any of them, 1 Corinthians 15, he said, not though it wasn't I, it was God. It was God with me. Can I ask you, who are you spending yourself on? This 
very week, these next seven days ahead of us, whose walk with Christ will benefit by your sacrifice in their life? I am regularly encouraged by those of you who I see spending yourself on one another. Recently, I got a text message from a mother in the church who, are, who is asking me for recommendations for resources on a study that she's doing with her kids on the attributes of God. Just last week, I overheard couples talking about a Bible study that they're doing together. I learned of parents leading their kids through the New City Catechism. I heard two sisters talking about their breakfast plans. I heard a young lady asking for prayer as she's sharing her faith with a friend. That's just last week. Undoubtedly, there are hundreds more examples here in this little church of those who are spending themselves and being spent for the good of others. I'm so encouraged by you, Cornerstone. Only God knows the innumerable ways that he has used you for the spiritual benefit of my own soul. If Pastor Brent and I are to have any fruitful effect in the kingdom of God, it will be because the Lord has used the prayers of his people for our help. If you are unable to draw a straight line from your life to the life of someone else that you're benefiting spiritually, just listen. Listen carefully. Anyone can get in on this. If you are in Christ, if you can read, if you have a Bible, if you are willing, you are able. Begin looking at your life and looking at the resources of time that the Lord has given to you to spend that time on others, to sacrifice for their sake. But sacrifice requires that something pays the price, yes? Some of your hobbies may end up taking a hit. I'm so sorry about that. Some of your free time may take a hit. But the benefit is the joy that you receive and the joy that the other person receives when you sit down with them and just say, let's just read the Bible together. Talk about what beauties of Jesus we see there. When you spend yourself on the spiritual good of others, you are so much like your Lord. Jesus emptied himself, took the form of a servant, humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Jesus carried the cross that we deserve to carry. Jesus suffered the shame that we, that that, that shame that should have been fixed to us because of our sin. Jesus endured being mislabeled so that we can carry the label of righteous. Jesus endured being misunderstood so that we can be known by God. Jesus did nothing for himself. Not once did he use his divinity to his own advantage. Everything Jesus did was in obedience to the Father and to the benefit of his people. It should have been us on the cross. We were the ones who had rejected God. We should have been the ones afflicted with grief and sorrow. 
After all, it was our sin. Jesus was sinless. And yet Jesus went to the grave willingly, enduring our shame for the joy that was set before him. He died so that we can live. And God raised him from the dead on the third day, having defeated sin and death. Our penalty was paid. Jesus' own righteousness was gifted to those of us by faith. Bought with his blood, he gave us peace with God. Made us new. Gave us new affections. And gave us a new family. It's possible that some of us in this room are not Christians. It's possible that some of us are deceiving ourselves that we are Christians. Jesus is the only person that, of whom we can truly say, He did not seek what is yours, but you. Friend, what do you have to offer that Jesus didn't already have in glory? No, Jesus emptied everything he had to gain you, to save you from the judgment of God over your sins. He's not after your stuff. He's after your soul. Turn to Jesus today. Confess your sins. Trust in his finished work on the cross and the resurrection that proved his divinity. Don't leave here still in your sins. If you want to know more about being right with God, indeed being given the, own, the very own righteousness of God, talk to one of us today. We'd be happy to tell you more about having peace with God. While we have seen the signs of true ministry, We've seen the sacrifice of true ministry. And next we see the sorrows of true ministry. This is verses 19 to 21. Have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? It's in the sight of God that we've been speaking in Christ. And all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I might find you not as I wish. And that you may find me. Not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, disorder. I fear that when I come, my God may humble me before you and I may have to mourn over many of those who have sinned earlier and not repented of the impurity, sexual morality, and sensuality they have practiced. For all the joys of doing ministry in the church, there are also many sorrows. You remember in the life of Jesus, he rejoiced in his spirit when the disciples came back from their mission trip. And then not too long later, he wept in sorrow over the unbelief of Jerusalem. The Christian ministry is dotted with these kinds of highs and these kinds of lows, these kinds of joys and these kinds of sorrows. There is sweetness, to be sure but it's always mixed with sorrow. There is success in the advance of the gospel to be sure, God be praised. But there is also suffering. Only the bravest souls dare follow the Lord Jesus. I love that um, section of the C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe 
where one character, Mr. Beaver, describes the lion Aslan, who is the Christ figure in that story. He says, safe. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Yes, it's true that you will have great joys, but it's also true that you will have sorrows. And most of those sorrows in ministry, as you are serving those that God has placed in your life, most of those sorrows come from the lingering effects of the fall, from the damage done by the enemy, by the devastation done by our sin. Verse 20, Paul writes, For I wish, for I fear that perhaps when I come I may find you not as I wish and that you may find me not as you wish. Twice in two verses, Paul expresses fear. This reminds us of the previous chapter when Paul admitted to anxiety for all the churches. I suspect it's not unlike a mother who drops her son off at college. The fear that she feels. Will he be safe? Will he apply himself? Will his faith hold? Why are there so many girls here? This is just part of the Christian ministry. Set your expectations accordingly. Friends, I fear that if we go in with an overly optimistic view of what church ministry looks like, we will undoubtedly encounter disappointment and we will become jaded and sadly even cynical. And we will bounce from church to church because we'll invest ourselves. We first you come to a church, it's new, it's fun, the preaching's nice, the pastor's whatever, and then you get into it and everything's good and you love it and it's amazing and then the honeymoon ends and you actually find that there are sinners that go to church at that church. And you say to yourself, I can't have any part of this. I'm not interested in church where people sin against each other. I'll go down the street, I'll find the one that... They don't. And so you go there and it's amazing. The pastor's okay, but then the preaching's really okay and then the music's really great and you get yourself invested and then the honeymoon is over and then again you find more sinners. And if you're not careful and don't set your expectations according, you'll run the risk of becoming jaded and cynical. Just know Spending yourself on the spiritual benefit of someone else is subjecting yourself to the high probability of disappointment. Does it make sense now why Paul says, I did ministry among you with utmost patience? Because some of y'all take a long time (laughs) to get where you need to go. And so, Paul, you see here, there's fear, twice mentioned. He's afraid that he's going to come and he's going to find them unrepentant. And so he calls it out. I'm afraid that when I show up, you guys are going to be full of fear and anxiety and you're going to be full of fighting. You're going to be mad at each other and you're going to be doing bad stuff. It's a warning shot. It's a lot like when you were a kid and your mom would go and ask you to clean your room and you would go away for 15 minutes or so and she'd say, is your room clean? It's a warning shot. 
Did you pick up your laundry? Did you make your bed? Did you put your toys away? It's a warning shot. I'll be there in a couple of minutes to check. I don't want to find the laundry still on the floor. It's a warning shot. Paul's saying, I'm going to come and I don't want to find you still fighting and jealousy and anger and gossip. I hope I don't find you still unrepentant of that sexual sin that we talked about. In 1 Corinthians, he had to address lewdness. He had to address sex outside of marriage. He had to address homosexuality. He's like, I don't want to, I really don't want to come there and find you still unrepentantly sin. I don't want to be humbled. I don't want to show up and you find me not as you were expecting and me not find you as I was expecting. You said you were repentant. I hope that wasn't just remorse. You know, there's a big difference. We've talked about this before. Back in, um, what is it, chapter 11 or chapter 10 where he was talking about uh, worldly grief versus godly grief. One is repentance leads to change. Remorse is just, oh, woe is me. Got caught. Repentance leads to change. And Paul is concerned that he's going to show up there and they've not changed anything. Paul had hitched himself to the Corinthian church. And he wouldn't give up on her. She'd frustrated him. She'd disappointed him. She'd believed lies about him. She'd spread lies about him. She had brought him to tears. But Cornerstone, let's not forget how the Apostle Paul opened this letter to the church of God at Corinth. Oh, she was a train wreck. Well, she was God's train wreck. Our church isn't that much different. Your pastors aren't that much different. We say it all the time here, but if Pastor Brent and I have not disappointed you simply because you haven't been coming here very long, stick around. It's likely just right around the corner. It's got your name written on it by your God, custom designed for your good. That's your church. That's your pastor's. Let you down. We're supposed to. To remind you that we're not Jesus and to keep you clinging after Him and not us and not church, this church. If you want to be safe, steer clear of serving others. If you want to be emotionally unharmed, just go on caring about only yourself. If you want to avoid disappointment, just stay away from church. But if you want to be a follower of Jesus, faithful to him as he has been faithful to you, then hitch yourself to his church and ride with him through the highs and through the lows of ministry. Cornerstone, love the church. Spend yourself on her. Be spent for her. Seek her spiritual good. Serve with the strength that God supplies. And when you do, your heart will be introduced to an entire index of fears that the uncommitted person will never know. But you will also know joys that the safe, self 
serving person will never know. Church is messy because people are messy. And these messy people in this room are the people that God has chosen to make his own. The church, I remind you, is Jesus' own bride. The exalted Lord of glory humbled himself and gave his own life for her. If you are among those who benefit from his sacrifice, I just, I just wonder, are you willing to do the same for her? To spend and be spent for her? Will you endure the sorrow and the sacrifice for the joy that's set before you? I pray you will. Please stand for the prayer of confession. At the end of our services, we go before the Lord and, and pray. God has revealed his word to us and his will for us. And in so doing, we recognize that we haven't lived up to this. And so we ask him to forgive us. So if you'd pray with me again. Lord and Father, great is your faithfulness to us. When we have been faithless, you have been faithful. When we've closed ourselves off, you have opened yourself up. When we have sought our own way, you went after us. And Lord, I pray the marvel of your grace would never cease to amaze us. We've seen this morning in the example of your servant Paul, a willingness to be spent and to spend on the Corinthians. And 2,000 years later, in a totally different part of the world, we are benefiting from his sacrifice for their benefit. What a kindness this is to us. And we admit, Lord, that we have been so rarely willing to do the same. Oh, we love the idea of serving others. But actually serving is so much more difficult. We appreciate the reputation of making disciples, but man, it's hard work. Forgive us. Would you forgive us for spending our lives on ourselves? Your varied gifts that you've given to us spending on ourselves. Show us mercy and another opportunity to serve with the strength you supply. Would you enable us to spend ourselves on the good of one another? For those here who are discipling, Lord, we pray that you would grant them power to continue with faithfulness and patience to steady on. Bless that labor of love. Bless that work. As Jane always prays, may they not grow weary in doing good. Lord, give us opportunities to share the gospel, to meet for Bible study, to pray together, to encourage the downcast and the faint. Make us a, cho- a church that knows the joys of serving one another, of feeling the delight of God in encouraging one another. Give us grace to trust you and do our part and leave the rest up to your spirit. Do this, we pray, for Jesus' sake.